0: Timing is the nothing personal word of the day. It is Wednesday, December 14th, 2022. Timing. What amazing timing. What terrible timing. It's how we define how we engage in an experience at the moment. There is no better timing than to be a shortstop in Major League Baseball in the offseason of 2022-23. Carlos Correa is represented by Scott Boras, and I am telling you right now in minute one of today's Nothing Personal, here it goes, so hold on to your hats. Sit up straight, turn the volume up, and say hello to my black blazer. Scott Boras, you win. You are the greatest agent who ever represented Carlos Correa. You had him do a one-year deal with Minnesota that you pretended was a three-year deal where you knew he'd opt out. You were aware that once the collective bargain agreement got signed and we were a year past COVID, we were a year past the labor unrest, that there would be a market for shortstops that had never existed ever, notwithstanding Francisco Lindor getting 340 from the Mets, notwithstanding last year, Corey Seeger getting 325 from the Texas Rangers. You were aware that there was going to be a market for a shortstop who played only 136 games last year, who averaged only 112 games from 2016 to 2019. You were aware that you had an opportunity to take advantage of the losers of the Aaron Judge sweepstakes. Different position, didn't matter you understand timing better than almost anyone in baseball and my god are we full of suckers while you were sleeping last night carlos correa signed with the san francisco giants for 13 years 330 million dollars he's 28. that contract will run through his 41 season where he will not be playing shortstop and likely won't be on the San Francisco Giants. But let's talk about how this happens. It's so simple. All of you who want to uh, grow up and be agents, or grow up and be presidents of baseball teams, we're not curing cancer. We're not brilliant. We just understand how to take advantage of market forces, how to appeal to someone's ego, insecurities and desperations. It's like we're psychologists. Maybe sociopathic psychologists. We sat on this show three days ago, four days ago. I don't remember when it was, Coca, when Aaron Judge signed with the Yankees. And we said, the worst thing you want to do is be out in the news telling your fan base, man, we were so close to getting Aaron Judge. I am so sorry. We gave it our best. The fan base gets upset. The owner gets anxious. The owner calls the GM and says, who's next? What do we do? We have to do something big and I mean monstrous because everyone is just excited for us. Free agents are going off the board and Farhan, who is the president of baseball operations for the San Francisco Giants, who is extremely smart, understands the value of contracts, understands the value of time, timing he's telling his owner hold on these numbers have gotten a little crazy we've got to be smart the only way to compete with the Dodgers we've got to be smart unless you're telling me that we're all of a sudden gonna have a payroll of 343 million dollars and you want to be Steve Cohn, which by the way no one talks about the fact that the owner of the Giants could be Steve Cohn if he wanted let's be smart then all of a sudden there's a little rumor Just a little tiny rumor that the New York Mets and Steve Cohn, who are taking all players from all teams at all times, they may have interest in Carlos Correa. I wonder what team ever had a shortstop, one of the best of all time, like, let's say, a Hanley Ramirez. But then they decide, hey, let's sign another shortstop. That would be amazing because he's the best player available in free agency. That was a guy named Jose Reyes. Two shortstops. Here's a plan. We're going to tell one of the shortstops to move to third base. Easy peasy. They're going to get along thick as thieves. A total failure. So the Giants say, "Uh uh-oh, the New York Mets could move Lindor or maybe Correa will play third because Scott Boris said, yeah, Correa will play whatever position he wants because he wants to win. Notice how Scott Boris never said about Correa what he said about Xander Bogarts. Xander Bogarts is a shortstop. He will be playing shortstop. That was a clear message to Fernando Tatis and the rest of the San Diego Padres. You sign Bogarts, he's your shortstop. You've got Tatis for thirteen years, three hundred and forty million dollars. He can be your outfielder. He's got a bad shoulder. He's got a bad this. He's got a bad attitude. Move him to the outfield, not Xander Bogarts. I don't recall anyone saying that Carlos Correa had to play shortstop every single moment of every single day. So the New York Mets make a call, or do they? Scott Boris is known in the game. This is what he does. And we have been told by commissioners, people in the Labor Department every year, Scott Boris will tell you that your competitor is signing that player. He will tell you that he's sending his player to a team in your division. He will tell you that this player is the difference between you and a ring. He will tell you that you can't let down your fan base. He will tell you that you will be making the greatest decision of your life by making this player, who is the king of gentlemen. Here's my 200-page book showing you what a great man he is on and off the field. Don't you miss him. That's what he does. It's like putting a fish hook in our mouth like Stevie O. Uh. So then there's a rumor. 10 o'clock last night, Mets interested in Correa. Do you think that's a coincidence that an hour later he was on the Giants for 13 years, 330? Do you think it's possible that Boris may have made up the fact that the Mets were interested in Carlos Correa? Or that he may have had a conversation with the Mets saying, hey, you got to at least think about Correa. And then the responsible team would always say, yeah, we'll give that some thought. We're never going to say never. We're never going to say no. Then he calls up the Giants and says, you're about to be a bridesmaid again. There's nothing worse in Major League Baseball than being a perennial bridesmaid. And this is to an organization with three World Series in the last 12 years, 2010, 2012, 2014. Don't you want to recapture the glory? Don't you wanna see Pac Bell, at and Park, whatever it's called now, Coca. Don't you wanna see it filled completely, the excitement that was there with Barry Bonds? Bring it all back. He can be yours, but you better act now because we're about to be a Met. That wasn't gonna be true. And then out of nowhere, they agreed to this contract of 13 330. Now make no mistake, the reason why it's 13,330 is not for anything about quality of play late in his 30s and early 40s. No, this is about helping the Giants with the competitive luxury tax. The competitive balance tax, the luxury tax, it takes the total number of dollars you get divided by the total number of years it doesn't talk about age it doesn't talk about ability it doesn't talk about whether the player is going to be released or traded or whether two teams are going to be paying his contract at the end or three or four or ten none of it it's simple math you can pay him 50 million dollars for the next eight years although that'd be too much for the next seven years that'd be too much for the next six years and then 30 million the last year and then nothing for the last few years we have to pay the minimum You know what, Coca? Let me just do that again. Four, eight, sixty-nine. You can pay a player however you want in a contract, but for luxury tax purposes, you are paying him the same amount every year, which is total dollars divided by total years. So all these contracts that you see, Trey Turner eleven three hundred, Bogart's eleven two eighty. All of it is done with an eye toward the tax. Because Scott Boris's view and it's going to happen this year, is he wants more and more teams paying that tax because that whole collective bargaining agreement where the luxury tax threshold was much lower than what the players wanted in the final agreement. And that luxury tax threshold used to be used as a pseudo salary cap by the overwhelming majority of owners. The goal of the players and the agents was to get as many teams possible over it. Because the higher the market goes for the best players, the better chance there is that the players who are not the best get more money than they otherwise would have gotten. Yes, I'm talking about you, Dansby Swanson. Oh my God, how happy was he when he got woken up by his agent? Correa got 3.30, Correa got 3.30, wake up, go out, celebrate. By definition, he's gonna get overpaid because there's still teams saying, oh man, we were so close, we need somebody. What's out there? Oh, I can't get that stuffed animal? I'll take that one. Well, that one's got some dirt on it. And so many people have been handling it at the fair recently. And look at the stain on his paw. No problem, I'm in. It's good enough. In 2014, I finished a deal with Giancarlo Stanton for 13 years and $325 million. At the time, that was the largest deal in professional sports. There was a conversation that I had with Joe Wolf, his agent, and Giancarlo Stanton with the discomfort of Stanton signing a deal like that because he didn't want to be the face of the biggest contract in sports coming off being hit in the face. And that's just not his personality. Giancarlo Stanton is the opposite of someone who would ever hire Scott Boris ever in a million years. His agent is a mensch. His agent understands what it is to represent your players, both on and off the field, both when they actually are not performing and when they are, both when they need you and when they don't, not just a quick hit and run. I said to Stan at the time, I don't know when it'll be, but I assure you that you will not look at this contract in five years, in seven years, in nine years, and you will not be on the list. And I said that because I wanted him to understand and be comfortable with being a Marlin forever because we were having a hard time ever keeping players and said, let's do it with this player. He's the perfect candidate. And by the way, he's only going to be 38 when the 13 years runs out. He was 25 years old, three years younger than Correa. What I never thought of or took into account was not just the possibility, but the guarantee that in under a decade, his contract would look good. Giancarlo Stanton, the perform- and this is not. This is not self-dealing. If I put a twenty-five-year-old Stanton against a twenty-eight-year-old Correa, who do you pay more money to? Is there even a question? If I put a twenty-five-year-old Stanton next to Xander Bogarts, who are you taking? Say what you want, Yankee fans. I'm taking Stanton any day of the week. So Carlos Correa joins a team with Brandon Crawford on it, who's already their shortstop, but only has one year left on his deal. So let's say Correa plays third. Let's say Crawford plays third. Let's say Crawford DHs, whatever the case may be. The Giants now get to take the podium today, which they will. And they are now going to tell you that we have our foundational piece we've got the person around whom our next dynasty of championships will be built. Carlos Correa is a good player, but he's not that. So when I found out the news about Correa and the 330, in addition to complimenting Boris, which I had to, I started actually thinking about Otani. Someone tweeted at me, in the middle of the night does this guarantee otani hits 500 million and that juan soto hits 450 million how long until mike trout is not the highest deal when he got 426 million dollars how long is that going to take it's going to take till next season the unfortunate part about payroll is that Teams and payrolls, they go higher. I'm not talking about every team every year, but the overall player compensation pool, that is adding up the entire 40-man rosters of all 30 teams, 1,200 players times 30 teams, year over year, over year, over year. It is a safe bet, like the stock market, that if you're willing to handle the downs, over time you'll look back and it was up so therefore contracts will continue to go up the value of contracts will continue to go up so someone like shohei otani no matter how old he is and he'll be signing his free agent deal at 29 or 30. teams are willing to pay a player into their 40s in order to get the total tax value down Otani is a better player than Trout. He's a better player than Correa. He's a better player than Turner. How many of these teams will it take to fail at these deals for there to be another window, another moment of the roller coaster when you won't sign players late into their 30s and early 40s? I've spent... Hours thinking about the concept of the mentality of owners, of presidents, of GMs. Years thinking about it, years doing it. I cannot impress upon you enough what it feels like when teams around you are doing things that you can't do or that you're not doing. Even when you think you're right in your evaluation, even when you think that not signing a player is smarter than signing a player, The urge to do something is so overwhelming. It's an addiction. Do you remember last year? Coca just brought this up to me in my ear, and he's totally right. And by the way, people forget about it. It's amazing to me. Chris Bryant Remember one of Boris's clients who shouldn't have gotten a long-term deal and the Rockies out of nowhere who are in the same division as the Giants and the Dodgers said, hey, Chris, come to us. How about seven years, $182 million? And we looked at that and said, wow, he's a non-tender candidate. The Cubs wanted to Dixie him. And yes, he had a few good moments when he was traded mid-season from the Cubs. How do you think the Rockies feel about that deal? Here's why Scott Boris wins because the Rockies are saying to themselves, Wow, how great are we that we only did seven years 182? Instead of saying that is one of the great overpays and we're totally screwed with having someone who played 40 games in a year, we finished 43 games behind the Dodgers. But man, we only have six years left on that deal. We are awesome. Oh, to be an agent. I used to think the kids should grow up and be place kickers in the NFL, not much risk of injury, but opportunity to make good money if you're willing to move around during the course of a season 2 or 3 or 4 times. Then I told you, "Hey, how about if your kids grow up to be shortstops? That's the dream. I've changed my mind. I think kids should grow up to be agents." because if you are an agent and you find a way to represent the top players and then through word of mouth and through performance, you have the psychological ability, but don't go to school for a business degree. You need to go to school for a psychology degree. The entire job as an agent is not just to babysit your players. It's not just to understand the psychology of young players and middle-aged players. It's to understand and expose and exploit using psychology owners. That's what you should tell your kids to do. Because Scott Boris doesn't care that the Rockies stink. Scott Boris will not care if the Dodgers beat the Giants every single year and the Giants do not win one thing with Correa. He does not care if the Padres continue to lose to the Dodgers. What a division. It's like an arms race. That's a terrible example, Coca. Don't even put that in the show. It's not like an arms race. This is not life and death. And I don't mean pitching arms. This is about three ownership groups and three teams in one division, count the Rockies if you want, who all say, anything you can do, I can do better. I can do anything better than you. Meanwhile, Boris, as Dr. Seuss and his machine of Sneetches stars, sneeches and their stars, is just printing money. Do you know, by definition, every single year of these contracts, one of the Dodgers and Giants and Padres, and Rockies will not make the playoffs or more. Now, you're going to say to me, but David, that's not true. There's expanded playoffs. Isn't it possible the Dodgers win the division and all the wild cards will come from the National League West? Yeah, that's true. That means that only one of the Mets, Phillies, Braves, Nationals, and Marlins can make it in. I guess that's true, too. Oh, by the way, that means only one of the Cardinals, Brewers, et cetera, can make it in. Every year, there will be an owner saying to his GM, I guess we got to fire the manager. I guess we got to fire the GM. We didn't make it. And the reason why this is happening is because they're all trying to step over each other to give totally irrational contracts. So I want to imitate for you and give you insight into the next owner's meeting, which will be in January. They always used to be in Arizona because that's where Bud Selig lived, the January owner's meetings. This time, I don't know where they are, but they sort of switch them around because Rob is willing to go different places. I bet you it's in Florida because that's where Rob is. I'm sure it's out there, Coco, where the location of January owner's meeting in MLB. But here's what will happen. The night before the main owner's meeting, it'll be a dinner where everyone gets together and there will be not one word spoken negatively. It will be, everyone hope you're doing well, the state of the... Game is good, let's have dinner, let's give a round of applause to our guest star because they bring in someone like a George Will or someone who will talk to them like a Sam Bankman Freed. Oh no, not him, but someone else who will come in and talk about their love of baseball and they'll show videos of the upcoming World Baseball Classic and how great it's gonna be and labor peace for the next five years. Hey, pass me the shrimp. Man, those are big shrimp, I guess we're doing well. Then they'll wake up the next morning, walk into the big meeting where everybody is, three people per club. Rob Manfred will have Dan Halem stand up and Dan Halem is going to do a slideshow. I've seen these slideshows and you can bet your bippy that they're working on one right now. And the slideshow, not collusion, the slideshow will be meant to show owners how they should feel like horses' asses. Because what they're doing is playing right into the hand of the Players Association and he, they are going to show how not one position player performs into their late 30s, early 40s. They will show what overpaying does even for teams with payrolls of 200 250 or $300 million. They will show the inverse correlation toward paying a player like that as a high percentage of your payroll and what it means for winning Rob Manford will then walk up to the podium from his seat on the dais. He'll look out there. And unlike Bud Selig, who would start swearing at us, what are you guys, a bunch of effing idiots? I've been in your chair, he would always say. I was chasing World Series like you are and I never got one because I I wasn't willing to be as goddamn stupid as you are. That's how he would talk to us. Rob Manford doesn't swear like that. Rob Manford will just look at us and he'll ask a simple question. Are you aware that you are set up to fail? We sit here with Noah Garden raising revenue. We sit here making it easier for you all to make money in a climate when businesses are bleeding and you're willing to lose money on an operating basis. We showed you the EBITDA. We showed you the operating income the net cash of teams. You know how many teams are in violation of the debt service rule. And yet, year after year, you bail out agents with irrational contracts. Tell me why. And you know what we do when we hear that? Because we got yelled at after the stand contract. We tell our owner, we elbow our owner right to our left or to our right, and we say, that's not us. Don't worry. That won't, that won't happen to us. Our plan is perfect. Our guy's gonna be healthy. Our guy's gonna be productive. And when we win the division and when we have rings on our fingers, we're gonna be the winners in this room. The problem is everyone in the room says the same thing. And by definition, by definition, everyone but one of us every year is wrong. Then of course, after the owners meeting, there's a lunch. Some of the owners just duck out and leave, but others sit there and have lunch, much like they were in that same room where breakfast was. And sometimes you've got low payroll teams sitting together so they can commiserate. You'll have Stuart Sternberg sitting with Mark Antonazio, sitting with Bruce Sherman, sitting with John Stanton, sitting with David Blitzer and Paul Dolan, he of the Cleveland Guardians. And they'll look around at the big market tables and they'll say, they're ruining our game. They're making it so our fans don't have hope. They're making it so we cannot win. What are we bothering signing anyone for? Our payroll could be 30 for crying out loud. Hold my water, John Fisher, owner of the Oakland A's. Payroll disparity, hope disparity, revenue disparity in an industry where there is codependence is the exact way an industry disappears from relevance, because it becomes sick. This is not me calling it the end of the world. This is not me doing what I did when Ichiro signed with Seattle. This is not me saying baseball is going away. This is me saying the erosion of the interest in baseball is going to continue no matter how many play ball academies we have, no matter how many kids we get to play baseball, when markets and sponsors and partners look around and say, this is a class system. I want to be associated with the upper class, not the lower class. I can't even find myself a middle class. And if I can't maneuver my way into those upper class teams, fine, I'll take the booby prize, but I'm certainly not going to pay a lot of money to be a part of it or associated with it. And then the revenue disparity grows even more. Major League Baseball has something they'll have to deal with. And this next collective bargaining agreement in 2027, if you thought we had a problem in the last collective post-COVID bargaining agreement where there was a 99-day lockout, if you thought that there was a time when I explained to you that there were owners fighting with owners, if I'm still with the Marlins, I'm putting together a low-revenue, low-payroll caucus of eight teams right now and I'm explaining to Rob Manford, a salary cap is coming. Higher taxes are coming, and we want that money. I am making sure that this divide that is growing larger than the Grand Canyon is put to an end because it's impacting my ability to do the second most important thing that I want, which is to win. Of course, the argument that comes back is, hey, You want these teams to keep doing this because if they're worth five, six, seven billion dollars, your team's going to be worth three billion dollars and just cash out without a World Series ring. You know what? Great. That means that the people buying your teams are even far more interested than you think in just the business side, just the appreciation side. Because why would I want to come in and try to win when I can't? I have no choice but to lose, but to give in to these unbelievable contracts and payrolls that these teams have. But David, you have it wrong. Here's the plan. Here's what's going to happen. We're going to have 30 owners that are just like Steve Cohn. It'll take about 20 years. But don't forget that if we have 30 Steve Cones, then we're going to have 30 teams with $300 million payrolls. It's going to be brilliant. And then I'm going to say, Where are the players coming from? All of a sudden, there's going to be 60 or 90 players that deserve these type of contracts. It's not sustainable. Oh, and by the way, at that time, there'll be 32 teams, not 30. This is not a pro-owner rant. This is not an anti-player rant. I am so happy that I am wrong about Scott Boris. I'm so happy I got my wait to see wrong about Carlos Correa. It was a simple wait to see. I said he'd get below $275 million. Seemed reasonable. I was wrong. I was back in November, I said that by the way. November 7th of 22. Lest you think I don't revisit wait to sees when I get them wrong, of course I do. We got it wrong. Carlos Correa over 275. What great timing. Congratulations, Frisco. When we come back, we're gonna review a fascinating movie and then we're gonna talk about what happens when there's a large payroll, large revenue team that does not wanna participate in fiscal insanity. How do they deal with that? Yes, I'm talking to you, Boston. We'll be right back. The 82 game preseason is in the books and it's finally time for the real season. Don't miss out on any of the NBA playoff action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. From the play-in tournament through the finals, DraftKings Sportsbook has you covered with same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. From what you've seen so far, do you think they'll be a first-time winner of the NBA championship? If the Pacers, Clippers, Suns, Magic, Pelicans, or T-Wolves win, you win at plus 650. That's six teams to root for, six chances to win. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SAMSON. New customers bet $5 and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. That's code SAMSON, only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resort in Kansas, 21-plus age varies by jurisdiction. in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. We had breaking news over the night. Our entire show got ripped up at 5 o'clock this morning when Carlos Correa signed with the Giants for 13 years, $330 million. Thank you for being with us, rating, reviewing, subscribing, get on YouTube. Nothing Personal with David Sampson. No matter what happens in baseball or any other sport, World Cup, doesn't matter, NBA. I'm watching a movie. I watched a movie called She Said yesterday with Zoe Kassan and Carrie Mulligan. She Said is available for rent or purchase or I don't remember what on one of your streaming networks. It's about the downfall of Harvey Weinstein. It is an article in the New York Times that appeared, that was written by the characters played by Zoe and Carrie that made public in theory for the first time, what was going on at Miramax, the kind of monster that Harvey Weinstein was, the beginning of what became the Me Too movement, the face of the Me Too movement. And it's a movie about the courage of women to stand up when there's no one else doing anything other than sitting down. The fear that women have is the exact reason why disgusting men of power behave in a way that is criminal. The power that Harvey Weinstein had over these women, these actresses, Staggering, the way that manifests itself in other businesses makes someone feel hopeless. The ripple effect of going public and talking about your experience, trying to explain what went on with a man who no one ever gave a thought that that could be the way he is, knowing that that could be the end of your career, that you can't find work anymore. What's the incentive? These days, the incentive is that we try to do what's right and that the women now have the courage to say, we're not alone, I'm not alone. I got assaulted by Deshaun Watson, is anyone else in my boat? And we've learned, it is the rare occasion. In in law school, we learned about crimes of passion Right. There's different ways when you're looking at crimes and when you're looking at intent and premeditation and you're looking when you're looking at bail as an example for someone, someone who murders their husband, let's say, or murders their wife or their significant other in the middle of a major fight. This is not someone when they're going for bail, as an example. The argument can't be made. This person's a danger to society because you could argue, and I don't agree with this, by the way, but you could argue, hey, this was a one-off crime of passion. This is not a serial killer. This is not someone doing random attacks on the street. When you are a sexual assaulter, a sexual harasser, I have yet to come across a situation where it's one person doing it to one person unless it's a stalker and obsession situation where it doesn't happen time and time again and it is damn clear and she said that women are finally feeling that it is safer finally feeling it is time to hold men accountable for their actions The courage, not by the New York Times, and you'll see what I say, what the New York Times, how complicit they were in how many more women were assaulted by Harvey Weinstein because they may have had information that they did not go with for much longer. Watch this movie, great acting, but it will make you think about your view Of the workplace it will make you think about whether or not you should stand up how you summon the courage to when you see something to say something when you experience something to make sure no one else has to experience it no one else has to feel the way you feel it's called she said i used to hate having press conferences by the way when we did a signing of a player who i was aware It was a fine signing. We needed him, right? It was good to have this guy in a one-year deal. It was good to bring in a free agent or good to make a trade to get a player who was on an expiring contract. We're still going to have a press conference because we want our fans to be excited. We want our fans to say, hey, we're trying. We're the Marlins. We're trying. We're the Expos. We got Hideki Arabu. Forget the fact that we traded away three great players to the Yankees. We have Hideki Arabu. Press conference, uniform, picture up the Boston Red Sox had to have a press conference for the signing of Kenley Jansen's two-year, $32 million deal yesterday. They had to. And they were DBR, despondent beyond repair as they were preparing for the press conference because Sam Kennedy, the president of the Red Sox, Chaim Bloom, the chief baseball officer, these are smart men, smart people, good executives. They surround themselves with good people, including good PR people. And guess what the PR person said to Sam and Chaim? Get ready, because the first question is going to be not about Kenley Jansen. It's not going to be about the Japanese player you overpaid for. The first question is going to be, how could you not have re-signed Xander Bogarts? How could you have let him for only 11 years, $280 million? Come on. Your guy owns... Roush Racing owns Liverpool. You're trying to buy a team with LeBron in Vegas. You're trying to take over the sports world and you let our best player go? The year after you let Mookie Betts go? And boy, were they ready for that question. Chaim Bloom said, I expected the reaction. I fully expected the question. That hasn't been a surprise. He actually said, I would have been surprised if that had not been the case. And then the way they split responsibilities in a press conference like that, when you know what the questions are gonna be, you give the talking points to the baseball guy and say, listen, Ivy League or not, all I want you to say is I expected it. I am pleased with our team. You have to believe in us. Great, but the president can't get away with that. Sam Kennedy had to go deeper, had to say more. Sam Kennedy had to explain to the media and therefore the fans that the people he works for, John Henry and Tom Werner, are not the antichrist and has to explain to people what I've been trying to explain for 10 years to you all. Being a fan of the Boston Red Sox under John Henry's ownership has been a dream of a generation, a dream of a century. The number of rings you have, more than the Braves, more than the Dodgers, more than the Cubs, more than all these teams who are taking these players, you are that successful. But above all, it's more than the Yankees. There is no comparison who is the most and more successful franchise. Red Sox, Yankees since 2004 who do you want red sox yankees that's almost 20 years that's an entire generation of kids born and then going to college it's the red sox in a landslide the yankees have been chasing you every year since oh four Sam Kennedy says, I would put our organization and our track record up against anybody else in Major League Baseball, period. And that line was given to him by a PR person, and that line is exactly correct. There is no franchise since 04, with the possible exception of the Astros and, May- without the sign stealing, and maybe the San Francisco Giants. There is no more successful franchise. Why is it that we criticize as fans an owner who's actually smart? That's because you don't want your owners to be smart. You love it. Sign that player. Give him the 13th year. Give him the 12th year. Overpay him by $50 million, $80 million, $90 million. Who cares? We want the best 26 players. You're rich, John Henry. We're so easy at spending other people's money yet we're okay paying delivery fees for Amazon. I will never understand the emotionality of the sports business, the irrationality of the sports business. But on the top of the pyramid of things I don't understand is why owners are so insecure and feel like they've got to please people who have absolutely no financial stake in the company and you have no fiscal responsibility for these people or emotional responsibility. Bad take, David. Coca's going to cut this and make a video and say, what a terrible take. My tweets will get 30,000 likes, not yours. Your takes suck. Your job as an owner is only that. You're going to have one job, win games and make sure that your fans are happy. Where does it say that? I never got the owner's handbook that said it. Not one time, not one line. Oh, I would say it to you, we're a community asset. We are stewards of this team for generations to come. We are holding the baton and we will give it to the next owner. The name on the franchise on the front of the uniform lasts longer than the names on the back. I said every platitude in the book. It never came up once in a closed door meeting, not once. It never came up once in an owner's meeting. It never came up once when we were signing players or trading players or cutting payroll or raising payroll, not once. And you think I'm the only owner? I think Steve Cohn sits around and actually says, boy, I'm doing this for Mets fans. Now, fans will turn around and say, the whole purpose of sports is to do things for fans. Without fans, there's no sports. huh? I'm trying to remember whether the game continued with no fans in the stands during COVID. Of course, the revenue from fans matters, but no matter what a team does, sign player, trade player, release player, don't sign player, there is a foundational base in every market around this country there are broadcasting networks that are competing with each other for live programming. No matter what individual teams do, and this is what we were always told, no matter what you do, we are the beneficiary of an emotional, irrational attachment that every sport enjoys. And the only way to screw it up is to do what you're doing now, by overpaying players and having an industry that loses money and unhealthy, and putting our sport at risk from a business standpoint. Don't sit around saying don't do that or you better do that for the fans. For you Boston Red Sox fans out there, can we please be clear? Stop giving Sam Kennedy and Chaim Bloom a hard time. You ought to be thanking them. Nothing personal pick of the day. Croatia v. Argentina going to a draw. I don't think we won that. It was plus money, though, but I really don't think we won that. Why didn't we win that? Because Argentina crushed them. What power do referees have to call fouls when players are in the box, therefore resulting in a PK? I tweeted this the other day, and I am even more emotional about it because I lost a pick of the day, I can argue, Not well that Argentina may not have won the game the way they did against Croatia without the initial PK by Messi. There's no stoppage of play where all of a sudden you look back and say, that was a foul, give him a PK. Now, there are fouls, but not all fouls are called. But the reward of a foul called in the box is not in any way correlated to the crime, to the foul. Now, when you drive to the basket, I get it in the NBA, you drive to the basket, you get fouled, the shot doesn't go in, you get two free throws. If you drive to the basket and you get fouled and it goes in, you get one free throw. So the reward of making the basket is that you get a chance to have three points, not two. If you're fouled and you still score a goal, like if you're there's a penalty in the NHL and the play continues and you score a goal, that's it. No extra power play, because the purpose of the power play was you have two minutes to score a goal. The purpose of a free throw is you have no one in your face, but you're from 15 feet. In football, they say, we're going to give you a PK, and the odds are overwhelming that you're going to score a goal. And if you score a goal, it changes the entire game. As a matter of fact, up 1-0 one one in a soccer game, and you might as well, the majority of the time, pack it in. Argentina and Lionel Messi have an opportunity right now to win a world cup they have one more game to go coca i'm not going to explain to you that it wasn't a foul i am talking about what the punishment is for the team that commits the foul in the box it is so prohibitive that if i'm coaching a team i am not i am telling my players do not make any contact with anyone in the box you want to stand there with your hands by your side just park the bus as much as you want i'm in but when you've got a player like Messi on the other team, and your whole game is playing for PKs at the end of the game to decide it. So my punishment for a foul in the box, free kick, that's a pretty good punishment, not a corner. I'm talking about a free kick from the front, right at the circle maybe. How about two fewer players can form the wall, or maybe nobody can lie down underneath the wall. So in case everyone jumps up, you can go on the ground. Take away four defenders, but a PK, you've taken away every defender. Argentina crushed Croatia. What a tie on the bow of Messi's career to win the World Cup here on Sunday at 10 a.m. Eastern. Will he play France? Will he play Morocco? Will it be Mbappe against Messi? The new greatest player of all time. The new greatest playing against the GOAT. Will it be a passing of the torch if France can get by Morocco? Well, here's my pick of the day. It's France over Morocco. Before the World Cup started, I said France was going to repeat the first country to repeat since 1962, and we still have a chance for that huge plus money bet. France over Morocco today at 2 o'clock. All right. God, we had so much to get through, but who would have thought? I mean, we literally had an entire show that we didn't talk about. Okay. Okay. We'll do it tomorrow. Maybe it's just business and a lot of business. It is. This is nothing personal. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early. So everyone can go home on time. There's Granger offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts. So you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus,